0: Part 2 Sections 4 and 5 Of the Song of the Lark This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Ping The Song of the Lark by Willis Cyper Cather Part 2 Sections 4 and 5 section four after that evening thea's work with Hassani changed somewhat he insisted that she should study some songs with him and after almost every lesson he gave up half an hour of his own time to practicing them with her he did not pretend to know much about voice production but so far he thought she had acquired no really injurious habits a healthy and powerful organ had found its own method which was not a bad one he wished to find out a good deal before he recommended a vocal teacher he never told thea what he thought about her voice and made her general ignorance of anything worth singing his pretext for the trouble he took that was in the beginning after the first few lessons his own pleasure and hers were pretext enough the singing came at the end of the lesson hour and they both treated it as a form of relaxation Hassani did not say much even to his wife about his discovery he brooded upon it in a curious way he found that these unscientific singing lessons stimulated him in his own study after miss kronborg left him he often lay down in his studio for an hour before dinner with his head full of musical ideas with an effervescence in his brain which he had sometimes lost for weeks together under the grind of teaching he had never got so much back for himself from any pupil as he did from miss kronborg from the first she had stimulated him something in her personality invariably affected him now that he was feeling his way toward her voice he found her more interesting than ever before She lifted the tedium of the winter for him, gave him curious fancies and reveries. Musically, she was sympathetic to him. Why all this was true, he never asked himself. He had learned that one must take where and when one can the mysterious mental irritant that rouses one's imagination, that it is not to be had by order. She often wearied him, but she never bored him under her crudeness and brusque hardness he felt there was a nature quite different of which he never got so much as a hint except when she was at the piano or when she sang it was toward this hidden creature that he was trying for his own pleasure to find his way in short harsanyi looked forward to his hour with thea for the same reason that poor wunsch had sometimes dreaded his because she stirred him more than anything she did could adequately explain. One afternoon, Hassani, after the lesson, was standing by the window putting some collodion on a cracked finger, and Thea was at the piano trying over the Lohai, which he had given her last week to practice. It was scarcely a song which a singing master would have given her, but he had his own reasons. How she sang it mattered only to him and to her he was playing his own game now without interference he suspected that he could not do so always when she finished the song she looked back over her shoulder at him and spoke thoughtfully that wasn't right at the end was it no that should be an open flowing tone something like this he waved his fingers rapidly in the air you get the idea no i don't seems a queer ending after the rest arsani corked his little bottle and dropped it into the pocket of his velvet coat why so shipwrecks come and go machen come and go but the river keeps right on there you have your open flowing tongue thea looked intently at the music i see she said dully oh i see she repeated quickly and turned to him a glowing countenance it is the river oh yes i get it now she looked at him but long enough to catch his glance then turned to the piano again Hassani was never quite sure where the light came from when her face suddenly flashed out at him in that way her eyes were too small to account for it though they glittered like green ice in the sun at such moments her hair was yellower her skin whiter her cheeks pinker as if a lamp had suddenly been turned up inside of her she went at the song again ich weiß nicht was soll er bedeuten dass ich so traurig bin a kind of happiness vibrated in her voice Harsani noticed how much and how unhesitatingly she changed her delivery of the whole song the first part as well as the last he had often noticed that she could not think a thing out in passages until she saw it as a whole she wandered like a blind man surrounded by torments after she once had her revelation after she got the idea that to her not always to him explained everything then she went forward rapidly but she was not always easy to help she was sometimes impervious to suggestion she would stare at him as if she were deaf and ignored everything he told her to do then all at once something would happen in her brain and she would begin to do all that he had been for weeks telling her to do without realizing that he had ever told her to-night thea forgot Hassani and his finger she finished the song only to begin it with fresh enthusiasm und das hat mich ich singen, die she sat there singing it until the darkening room was so flooded with it that Hassani threw open a window. You really must stop it, Miss Kronborg. I shan't be able to get it out of my head tonight. Thea laughed tolerantly as she began to gather up her music. Why, I thought you had gone, Mr Hassani. I like that song. That evening at dinner, Hassani sat looking intently into a glass of heavy yellow wine. Boring into it, indeed, with his one eye, when his face suddenly broke into a smile. What is it, Andor? his wife asked. He smiled again, this time at her, and took up the nutcrackers and the Brazil nut. Do you know? he said in a tone so intimate and confidential that he might have been speaking to himself. Do you know? I like to see Miss Kronborg get hold of an idea. In spite of being so talented, she's not quick but when she does get an idea it fills her up to the eyes she had my room so reeking of a song this afternoon that i couldn't stay there mrs harsanyi looked up quickly dillohalai you mean one couldn't think of anything else anywhere in the house i thought she was possessed but don't you think her voice is wonderful sometimes Hassani tasted his wine slowly my dear I've told you before that I don't know what I think about Miss Kronborg except that I'm glad there are not two of her. I sometimes wonder whether she is not glad. Fresh as she is at it all, I've occasionally fancied that, if she knew how, she would like to diminish. He moved his left hand out into the air as if he were suggesting a diminuendo to an orchestra. Section five. By the first of February Thea had been in Chicago almost four months, and she did not know much more about the city than if she had never quitted Moonstone. She was, as Hassani said, incurious. Her work took most of her time, and she found that she had to sleep a good deal. It had never before been so hard to get up in the morning. She had the bother of caring for her room, and she had to build her fire and bring up her coal her routine was frequently interrupted by a message from mr larson summoning her to sing at a funeral every funeral took half a day and the time had to be made up when mrs Hassani asked her if it did not press her to sing at funerals she replied that she had been brought up to go to funerals and didn't mind thea never went into shops unless she had to and she felt no interest in them indeed she shunned them as places where one was sure to be parted from one's money in some way she was nervous about counting her change and she couldn't accustom herself to having her purchases sent to her address she felt much safer with her bundles under her arm during the first winter thea got no city consciousness chicago was simply a wilderness through which one had to find one's way she felt no interest in the general briskness and zest of the crowds the crash and scramble of that big rich appyton western city she did not take in at all except to notice that the noise of the drays and streetcars tired her the brilliant window displays the splendid furs and stuffs the gorgeous flower-shops the gay candy-shops she scarcely noticed at christmas-time she did feel some curiosity about the toy stores and she wished she held thor's little mittened fist in her hand as she stood before the windows the jeweler's windows too had a strong attraction for her she had always liked bright stones when she went into the city she used to brave the biting lake winds and stand gazing in at the displays of diamonds and pearls and emeralds the tiaras and necklaces and earrings on white velvet these seemed very well worth while to her things worth coveting mrs loch and mrs anderson often told each other it was strange that miss kronborg had so little initiative about visiting points of interest when thea came to live with them she had expressed a wish to see two places montgomery ward and company's big mail-order store and the packing-houses to which all the hogs and cattle that went through moonstone were bound one of mrs locke's lodgers worked in a packing-house and mrs anderson brought thea word that she had spoken to mr Ekman and he would gladly take her to packingtown Ekman was a toughish young swede and he thought it would be something of a lark to take a pretty girl through the slaughter-houses but he was disappointed thea neither grew faint nor clung to the arm he kept offering her she asked innumerable questions and was impatient because he knew so little of what was going on outside of his own department when they got off the street-car and walked back to mrs locke's house in the dusk Ackman put her hand in his overcoat pocket, she had no muff, and kept squeezing it ardently until she said, Don't do that, my ring cuts me. That night he told his roommate that he could have kissed her as easy as rolling off a log, but she wasn't worth the trouble. As for Thea, she had enjoyed the afternoon very much, and wrote her father a brief but clear account of what she had seen. One night at supper, Mrs. Anderson was talking about the exhibit of students' work she had seen at the Art Institute that afternoon. Several of her friends had sketches in the exhibit. Thea, who always felt that she was behindhand in courtesy to Mrs. Anderson, thought that here was an opportunity to show interest without committing herself to anything. "'Where is that, the Institute?' she asked absently mrs anderson clasped her napkin in both hands the art institute our beautiful art institute on michigan avenue do you mean to say you have never visited it oh is it the place with the big lions out in front i remember i saw it when i went to montgomery wards yes i thought the lions were beautiful but the pictures didn't you visit the galleries no the sign outside said it was a pay-day i've always meant to go back but i haven't happened to be down that way since mrs Locke and mrs anderson looked at each other the old mother spoke fixing her shining little eyes upon thea across the table ah but miss kronborg there are old masters oh many of em such as you could not see anywhere out of europe and crows breathed mrs anderson tilting her head feelingly such examples of the barzizon school this was meaningless to thea who did not read the art columns of the sunday interocean as mrs anderson did oh i'm going there some day she reassured them i like to look at oil paintings one bleak date in february when the wind was blowing clouds of dirt like a moonstone sandstorm dirt that filled your eyes and ears and mouth thea fought her way across the unprotected space in front of the art institute and into the doors of the building she did not come out again until the closing hour in the street-cart on the long cold ride home when she sat staring at the waistcoat buttons of a fat strap-hanger she had a serious reckoning with herself. She seldom thought about her way of life, about what she ought or ought not to do. Usually there was but one obvious and important thing to be done. But that afternoon she remonstrated with herself severely. She told herself that she was missing a great deal, that she ought to be more willing to take advice and to go to see things she was sorry that she had let months pass without going to the art institute after this she would go once a week the institute proved indeed a place of retreat as the sand hills or the kohler's garden used to be a place where she could forget mrs anderson's tiresome overtures of friendship the stout contralto in the choir whom she so unreasonably hated and even, for a little while, the torment of her work. That building was a place in which she could relax and play, and she could hardly ever play now. On the whole, she spent more time with the casts than with the pictures. They were at once more simple and more perplexing, In some way they seemed more important, harder to overlook. It never occurred to her to buy a catalogue, so she called most of the castes by names she made up for them. Some of them she knew. The dying gladiator she had read about in Child Herald almost as long ago as she could remember. He was strongly associated with Dr. Archie and childish illnesses. The Venus de Milo puzzled her. She could not see why people thought her so beautiful she told herself over and over that she did not think the apollo belvedere at all handsome better than anything else she liked a great equestrian statue of an evil cruel-looking general with an unpronounceable name she used to walk round and round this terrible man and his terrible horse frowning at him brooding upon him as if she had to make some momentous decision about him the castes when she lingered long among them always made her gloomy it was with a lightening of the heart a feeling of throwing off the old miseries and old sorrows of the world that she ran up the wide staircase to the pictures there she liked best the ones that told stories there was a painting by jerome called the pasha's grief which always made her wish for gunner and axel the pasha was seated on a rug beside a green candle almost as big as a telegraph pole, and before him was stretched his dead tiger a splendid beast and there were pink roses scattered about him she loved too a picture of some boys bringing in a newborn calf on the litter the cow walking beside it and licking it the corot which hung next to this painting she did not like or dislike she never saw it but in that same room there was a picture. Oh, that was the thing she ran upstairs so fast to see. That was her picture. She imagined that nobody cared for it by herself, and that it waited for her. That was a picture indeed. She liked even the name of it. The Song of the Lark. The flag country, the early morning light, the wet fields, the look in the girl's heavy face. Well, they were all hers. Anyhow, whatever was there she told herself that that picture was right just what she meant by this it would take a clever person to explain but to her the word covered the almost boundless satisfaction she felt when she looked at the picture before thea had any idea how fast the weeks were flying before mr Larson's permanent soprano had returned to her duties spring came, windy dusty strident shrill a season almost more violent in chicago than the winter from which it releases one or the heat to which it eventually delivers one one sunny morning the apple trees in mrs Locke's backyard burst into bloom and for the first time in months thea dressed without building a fire the morning shone like a holiday and for her it was to be a holiday there was in the air that sudden treacherous softness which makes the poles who work in the packing-houses get drunk at such times beauty is necessary and in packing-town there is no place to get it except at the saloons where one can buy for a few hours the illusion of comfort hope love whatever one most longs for Hassani had given thea a ticket for the symphony concert that afternoon and when she looked out at the white apple-trees her doubts as to whether she ought to go vanished at once she would make her work light that morning she told herself she would go to the concert full of energy when she set off after dinner mrs Locke, who knew chicago weather prevailed upon her to take her cape the old lady said that such sudden mildness so early in april presaged a sharp return of winter and she was anxious about her apple-trees the concert began at two-thirty and thea was in her seat in the auditorium at ten minutes after two a fine seat in the first row of the balcony on the side where she could see the house as well as the orchestra she had been to so few concerts that the great house the crowd of people and the lights all had a stimulating effect She was surprised to see so many men in the audience, and wondered how they could leave their business in the afternoon. During the first number, Thea was so much interested in the orchestra itself, in the man, the instruments, the volume of sound, that she paid little attention to what they were playing. Her excitement impaired her power of listening. She kept saying to herself, Now I must stop this foolishness and listen. I may never hear this again, but her mind was like a glass that is hard to focus. She was not ready to listen until the second number, the Symphony in E minor, called on the program, From the New World. The first theme had scarcely been given out when her mind became clear. Instant composure fell upon her, and with it came the power of concentration. This was music she could understand-music from the New World indeed. Strange how, as the first movement went on, it brought back to her that high tableland above Laramie, the grass-grown wagon trails, the far-away peaks of the snowy range, the wind and the eagles, that old man and the first telegraph message. When the first movement ended, Thea's hands and feet were cold as ice. She was too much excited to know anything except that she wanted something desperately. And when the English horns gave out the theme of the Largo, she knew that what she wanted was exactly that. Here were the hills, the grasshoppers and locusts, all the things that wakened and chirped in the early morning the reaching and reaching of high plains, the immeasurable yearning of all flatlands. There was home in it, too, first memories, first mornings long ago, the amazement of a new soul in a new world, a soul new and yet old, that had dreamed something despairing, something glorious, in the dark, before it was born, a soul obsessed by what it did not know under the cloud of a past it could not recall if thea had had much experience in concert-going and had known her own capacity she would have left the hall when the symphony was over but she sat still scarcely knowing where she was because her mind had been far away and had not yet come back to her she was startled when the orchestra began to play again the entry of the gods into Valhalla, she heard it as people hear things in their sleep. She knew scarcely anything about the Wagner operas. She had a vague idea that Rheingold was about the strife between gods and men. She had read something about it in mr howe's book long ago. Too tired to follow the orchestra with much understanding, she crouched down in her seat and closed her eyes the cold stately measures of the valhalla music rang out far away the rainbow bridge throbbed out into the air under it the wailing of the rhine daughters and the singing of the rhine but Thea was sunk in twilight it was all going on in another world so it happened that with a dull almost listless ear she heard for the first time that troubled music ever darkening ever-brightening, which was to flow through so many years of her life. When Thea emerged from the concert hall, Mrs. Locke's predictions had been fulfilled. A furious gale was beating over the city from Lake Michigan. The streets were full of cold, hurrying, angry people running for streetcars embarking barking at each other the sun was setting in a clear windy sky that flamed with red as if there were a great fire somewhere on the edge of the city for almost the first time thea was conscious of the city itself of the congestion of life all about her of the brutality and power of those streams that flowed in the streets threatening to drive one under people jostled her ran into her poked her aside with their elbows uttering angry exclamations she got on the wrong car and was roughly ejected by the conductor at a windy corner in front of a saloon she stood there dazed and shivering the cars passed screaming as they rounded curves but either they were full to the doors or were bound for places where she did not want to go her hands were so cold that she took off her tight kid gloves the street lights began to gleam in the dusk. A young man came out of the saloon and stood eyeing her questioningly while he lit a cigarette. Looking for a friend tonight? he asked. Thea drew up the collar of her cape and walked on a few paces. The young man shrugged his shoulders and drifted away. Thea came back to the corner and stood there irresolutely. An old man approached her. He, too, seemed to be waiting for a car. He wore an overcoat with a black fur collar. His great moustache was waxed into little points, and his eyes were watery. He kept thrusting his face up near hers. Her hat blew off, and he ran after it, a stiff, pitiful skip he had, and brought it back to her. Then, when she was pinning her hat on, her cape blew up, and he held it down for her looking at her intently his face worked as if he were going to cry or were frightened he leaned over and whispered something to her it struck her as curious that he was really quite timid like an old beggar oh let me alone she cried miserably between her teeth he vanished disappeared like the devil in a play but in the meantime something had got away from her she could not remember how the violins came in after the horns just there when her cape blew up perhaps why did these men torment her a cloud of dust blew in her face and blinded her there was some power abroad in the world bent upon taking away from her that feeling with which she had come out of the concert hall everything seemed to sweep down on her to tear it out from under her cape If one had that, the world became one's enemy. People, buildings, wagons, cars rushed at one to crush it under, to make one let go of it. Thea glared round her at the crowds, the ugly sprawling streets, the long lines of lights, and she was not crying now. Her eyes were brighter than even Hassani had ever seen them all these things and people were no longer remote and negligible they had to be met they were lined up against her they were there to take something from her very well they should never have it they might trample her to death but they should never have it as long as she lived that ecstasy was going to be hers she would live for it work for it die for it but she was going to have it time after time height after height she could hear the crash of the orchestra again and she rose on the brasses she would have it what the trumpets were singing she would have it have it it under the old cape she pressed her hands upon her heaving bosom that was a little girl's no longer end of part two sections four and five Recording by Shi Ping Ning.